I'm excited and uh, privileged, we're privileged to have with us a speaker, Dan Stewart, who is a professor at Life Pacific College, former president, amen, world-renowned. We, we throw that term loosely out, you know, if there's one person somewhere in the world, we say world-renowned, but he's highly, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, where you try to, to get him, try to uh, widely... Not acclaimed, huh? He, highly in demand. There you go. So we have him here today. Let's welcome Dr. Dan Stewart. It is really great to be here. And uh, this is not my first time being in this church. In fact, I want to say a big thank you, a big shout out. Uh, for the last 10 years, uh, maybe even more than that, this church has hosted our pastoral ministry class. And right up there, we've baptized each other. A lot of students were baptized in there. And uh, we did a wedding in here, uh, a fake wedding. But um, <laughs> when we're training ministers, you need an opportunity, a place to do that. So we bring them in here. And thank you, Pastor, for allowing us this year. And it's been several years that we've, uh, at least the last 10 anyway. And... Uh, we are leaving. Marlene and I are getting on a plane in about uh, a couple hours and uh, for an exciting trip. And uh, yeah, I was going to bring the video and I forgot. I just uh, did a video for uh, 42 years of ministry in East Africa. And um, it, the, the most fun of the video is the picture of me in the beginning. Because the first time I went, I was 20 years old. And you can see people going, is, is that him? That, that, that's not him. And uh, anyway, it was, it's fun, uh, fun to watch the years that I was, Connie and I, my wife, she's here, um, that we were engaged at the time when I left for Africa. And um, so we look the same, don't we, baby? Yeah, we do. And uh, did you see that Kelly on the video? She must have been from Georgia. Could you tell? She had a little bit of an accent. But... Um, it's really nice having uh, Caleb and uh, Caleb's grandmother with us and his sister. So it's r Lindsay, really, really great to have you guys here. And uh, you know that I wanted to talk today. If if you could bring people here from the Bible, may, you know, big big stars, and have them on this stage, and you told them, you asked them this question: What's the one thing? you'd want us to know. What would they say? This is the, I want to culminate everything in ministry. What's the one thing you think they'd tell you? Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what the Bible has written down by people who said, this is the one thing that really matters. And you might be here also, there's always one thing in your life that you haven't dealt with. There's always that one thing. You go, man, I wish I could get, uh, as we use these terms, I wish I could get victory over that one thing, what a, whatever that one thing may be. I, I was reading the other day this uh, quote, and it, it uh, really touched me. It says, this is the reason why we have no peace of heart or soul. For we're seeking our rest in trivial things, which can never satisfy. 
We're not seeking to know God Almighty, all wise and all good. Nothing less will do. We shall never cease wanting and longing until we possess him in the fullness of joy. You know when that was written? 600 years ago. 600 years ago by Julian of Norwich, who even in her day was saying people seek after the wrong things. After the wrong things. And I have to admit, to my own shame, I have dabbled in the world a little bit here and there. And uh, when I was much younger, when I was 18, or actually 17, was arrested uh, for drug possession, went to jail. And uh, that's why you can always look at your life and think, when somebody comes to me and says, what can God do with my life? You go, let me tell you. I'll tell you what God can do with your life. And um, yesterday I was given the title of Professor Emeritus at Life Pacific College. You know what that means? They don't have to pay you any money, <laughs> but you're a permanent employee. <laughs> I always will have a job. Isn't that great? <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, it was a great privilege. But I'm telling you, um, my righteous acts sometimes were lacking. And to summarize your life in one word, what would it be? What's the one thing you want to be known for? Do you know that um, Peter Drucker, who's very well known for leadership, said he was in junior high school and his teacher came to junior high kids and said this, what do you want to be known for when you're 35 years old? Now, to a junior high kid, 35, you're, you are ancient. You're just ancient. I love asking kids. Connie does it. She is a school teacher. She asks kids how old they think she is. So they say 20. She loves those kids. <laughs> but you think about it, and um, they, they came, and they have all these different ideas. But Drucker's teacher said, what are you going to be known for when you're 35? He said not one person in their class could come up with anything. They just stared at each other, you know, going... I don't know. And you know what the teacher said? If you don't know, you'll waste your life. And he said, I've never, he said, I never forgot that. If you don't know, you will have wasted your life. Because he, and he really encouraged them to say, when you're 35, you should have put together what you want to do. You should have be able, and it's, it's the same thing I tell people all the time, that they say, I want to be a professor at college. I said, do you want to go to school a long time? And if you don't want to do that, that's probably not the calling for you. But if you think it might be when you're 35 and somebody may ask you to teach, you better have the education. Or even though you have the drive and you want to do it, if you don't have the education, you won't be asked. So you have to combine what God wants you to do with the fact of being willing to do and pay the price uh, to get there. And that's part of... What will God ask of us? What's the one thing that we need to submit to the Lord? All right. Everyone should have some notes. I carefully made them for you. Everybody got some notes? All right. Awesome. If you don't, he'll get you some. I, I promise he will. Your first fill-in is 
King David. King David. Remaining holy. Remaining holy. So let's go to uh, Psalm 27. This is Psalm of David. So we're looking at the Psalms. If you don't have a Bible, you can watch the screen, and it will come up for you. But Psalm 27, verse 4. I will need my glasses. All right. Psalm 27, verse 4. Notice, what's the message about? The one thing. Okay, here we go. The one thing. Here's David speaking. Here's the one thing I ask of the Lord. Now, this is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. All right, what's David? He's writing and he says, here's the one thing that matters. What does David say that he wants more than anything? Here's the one thing I ask of God. This is what I seek. That he could do what? That he could dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? All, yeah, all the days of his life. And here's the thing that what he's talking about here is David plans to be a man after God's own heart, which we know that that's true. It's what's said of him. But when you're trying to walk upright, sometimes you get pressed in that process. To summarize um, his passion for righteousness, which we're saying is seeking holiness, is David's word simply stated. One thing that I ask of the Lord. Come on, how many of you woke up this morning and said, man, I wish I could sit in church all day. <laughs> Just sit in church. Uh, no, that probably wouldn't be the top of your list. Uh, but David, I, I tell you, is not, um, is not coming to the place of asking to be a priest. He isn't. He's not asking. He's like, man, I wish I could be a priest in the house of God. He's not asking for that. In fact, what he's simply asking is, if you go into a house and you know your mom and dad are home, then you're in their presence, okay? David says, I just want to be in God's presence. I, I wish I could just dwell in his presence. And notice the words he uses, ask, seek, to gaze in God's house. See, here's the deal. If you go to God's house and knock on the door, he's home. He's home. And David said, here's the one thing that I want more than anything, is to be able to be in his presence at all times. And, you know, that, that means that you want to do and live a life of godliness. Now, my grandmother, who came uh, from Missouri, she told me years and years and years ago, I was a little kid, and I was talking to her. She, here's what she, here was her words, exact words. If you went to a picture show and Jesus came back, he'd leave you right there. He'd leave you in the picture show. And you know that when we think about what does God want from us? This is the one thing David said that I asked. This is what I seek. That I could see the Lord in his beauty and to behold him. 
And how we do that about righteous living and righteous actions, it does make a difference how we dress. It, it does make a difference in being in his dwelling. Now, we're heading to the Middle East. We're going to be going to Egypt and to Jordan and to Israel. They dress very conservatively. Not you, but I'm just going to mention Marlene is a student, a college student, and she always dresses very nicely. But there are some that don't know how to dress. And you'll say, well, dress conservatively. They go, they just kind of look at you and go, what exactly, what, 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 conservative, um, <laughs> and you go, well, there they don't let your shoulders, you can't see your shoulders, why not, it's just amazing to me how many, <laughs> how culturally insensitive we become, well, I want to do what I want to do, but David comes and says, you know what, I want to dwell in God's house, if I'm going to dwell in his house, that I better be ready to dwell in righteousness, because where he is. It makes a difference in my desire, in my devotions. And it says, and he says this, all my days, all my days, allow me to live holy. I notice that none of you are smoking in here. Why don't we smoke in church? Now, why is it not allowed? Would we do it if the state said we can't do it? You say, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. But I, would, I could go out in my car. <laughs> you know, really? Because if we're in God's presence, aren't we in his presence everywhere? So should we not be concerned about how we live inside of a building and outside of a building? I noticed we don't have a bar set up in the back. Um, you say, oh, no, we would never do that. Well, you can go right down the street, and I bet you can find one. And you say, well, if, I'm gonna, if David says, here's the one thing I really want, this is what I seek. I want to remain holy all my days. Because trust me, if, if God himself is in your presence, you will feel undone. And you will feel as Adam and Eve did. I think we're not dressed appropriately. And all of a sudden, that you get that mindset, I need to be different. In fact, that's a good definition of salvation change. Your life changes. And you no longer wear the things you wore, or say the things you say, or do the things that you do. And that's why when David said, I wish not that I could be a pastor, he just said, I just want to be in God's presence. That's the one thing that I think is worth my life. So David would tell us the one thing that I could just be in his presence all the time. Amen to that. Okay, two. A blind man. So let's go to the New Testament and see what this blind man has to tell us. John chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. And we're going to call this remembering truth. Remembering truth. John chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. Jesus has revealed his power. He's made himself known. Kingdom of God is at hand. And he comes to this place basically by a guy who has no name, he's unknown, um, and there's a single healing that takes place, but it is uh, profound. The Pharisees were asking questions about who is Jesus and 
what do others say, and all these kinds of things. But let's look at what happens in chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. Now he comes up and he says this, now a second time they summoned the man. So the Pharisees are all bent out of whack about Jesus healing and, and who had been blind. And they say it like this, give glory to God, they said. We know this man's a sinner. <laughs> he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. The one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. All right. The one thing, he says, I, I only know this one thing out of my life. I used to be blind, and now I see. Don't you think that was probably part of his conversation the rest of his life? If you had been born blind, and you're 30-something years old, and all of a sudden you can see, you'd go around doing this. Hi. My name's Dan. I used to be blind. Now I see. Hi. I used to be... <laughs> I'm Dan. I used to be blind. Now I see. Yep. Hello there. I used to be blind. Now I see. Don't you think it'd be the one thing you'd talk about? You would never forget that, ever. So the guy goes, I only know one thing. I used to not be able to see. Now I can. Come on. In all of our lives, what's the one thing you'd want to tell somebody that God has done in your life? The one thing. He said, I was blind, now I see. Come on, all of us would have something we'd want to say. God has delivered me from this. I used to be in, I used to be in this. We had a lady in our church, and she had a wonderful voice. Everybody wanted to be like her. They all wanted to be her. But we knew her background, and she used to be a high-priced call girl in Vegas or someplace, and, and she got saved. But everybody thought her life was perfect. But if she introduced herself, she'd probably come up and say, here's one thing I know. I used to get paid to have sex with men, but now I'm free. You know, see, that becomes part of our conversation. Come on, would not all of us in here that are Christians say, I used to be lost, and now I'm found. And, you know, I, I, it, it changes. So this, this man who came to Jesus and was, was instantly healed. He goes, man, I only know this one thing. This is the only one thing I know, that God has given me sight. And the fact that the kingdom was focused all of his life on this would be the one thing that you should never forget about your life. There's always that one thing you say, man, I don't ever want to forget this. I never want this to go away. But when we, for, when we really forget to remember uh, it creates a lack of faith. I mean, uh, Caleb and Destiny, how many times have you had to raise money for trips? <laughs> Did you go on those trips? Yes. But it was sometimes right at the end of the last second of the last moment. <laughs> yes. But see, the deal is, is that don't ever forget that. See, the trips are important. They really are. But getting up to those trips, don't forget, man, the one thing I remembered is that a week before I wasn't going to go, and a week later I, I, I have a ticket. Those things are in all of our lives are, are focusing on what's the one thing in your life that you would shake somebody's hand and tell them, I used to be this, but God has set me free. 
And, uh, you know, Connie and I, you know, years ago, I used to, we had no insurance for I don't know how many years. Five or six years we didn't have any health insurance. And so when she was pregnant the second time, we just decided we're going to pay for it as we go. I actually went to the doctor and said, how much to deliver a baby? And said, okay. And I went to the hospital and said, how much for eight hours? You guys think this is all silly, but it didn't. how much for eight hours? And they told me how much, I think it was like $100 an hour. It was like 800 bucks. I said, give us the birthing room. So Connie waited out in the car, and we held hands while she was in contraction because we couldn't go in too soon. You got to wait till it's, come on. And... Um, <laughs> We actually got in the hospital, and I said, break her water. It, 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 the baby will come quicker. <laughs> you think I, I don't make this stuff up? They broke her water, had the baby, I don't know what it was, an hour later or something like that, and we went home that afternoon. Oh, yeah, she did. She cooked afterwards and cleaned up the house. <laughs> that wasn't true. <laughs> but we went home after, was it? Seven hours? About eight hours. We took a baby home. Now, now they, no, 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 no. But you know how we would introduce ourselves? I used to be broke. But now I can pay. <laughs> I mean, come on, we all remember I used to have nothing. And God still provided. And so you say, what's the one thing that matters? The one thing. You know, when Joshua was going into the promised land, they were crossing the Jordan, and he simply is recorded in Joshua chapter 1. Take the word of God, speak it, write it down, and do it. And you know that Joshua didn't have any way to make that river do what it's going to do. But God can do that. He can make it happen. And um, it is an amazing um, thing that he can do. And just the one thing that we want to remember. All right. If we could bring Paul in here, what do you think he'd tell us out of all of his writings? He gave us a, a, a third of the New Testament. What do you think he would write down and tell you, here's the one thing that matters? Yeah. <laughs> that would probably stand top of the list. Okay, let's, um, we're going to write down there, renewing purpose, renewing purpose. Um, and by the way, what this means is none of you are ever finished. You're not ever finished. God is the one who calls the last day, the last hour, the last moment. The last play of the game is his. It's not you. Um, we've been building churches in East Africa for, uh, well, I've been been going for 42 years, so, uh, but a couple of years ago, uh, somebody had come to me and we bought some property for a church in, uh, can you imagine being able to buy property, a quarter of an acre, maybe, maybe uh, even up to an acre in size for about $2,500? I mean, come on, that's a couple of, of Starbucks coffees and, you know, clear your throat and you got 2500 bucks. Well, you're able to buy land for a church to be built. Well, we, we bought the land and celebrated, and then a donor who helped us buy that land for this congregation said, let's build the building. And I said, I don't have no idea how to do that. I'm, I can't build overseas, and I don't have any money. And he goes, oh, here's a, she wrote a check, her and her husband. 
enough for three buildings. You can build a block building with a bathroom. It's called a cho. Um, an office, a little office area, and a sanctuary. Somewhere around 3,000 square feet. About the same size as this building, give or take. $30,000. $30,000. And they have a permanent building for the community to use, for the village to use, for the church to use. It becomes a win for everybody. And it hires local people. Well, we build eight of those over the last uh, seven years. And I'm done. I went last year, and I said, okay, time for a younger person to, to lead a team, time to be able to do that. And it was all well and done. Well, I got a, an email from pastors, and they said, the government has taken one of our churches. They confiscated the property and took the building. Not the one we built, but another one that had been there. This is just a couple months ago. And I remember telling my wife, I go, we have nothing. We have no money. We, the account for our, our East Africa was closed, and we'd spent all the money and built the churches, and I said, we're done. And so I, I, here's the words I said, oh, Jesus, help those people. I got my car and headed down. We live up in Lake Arrowhead, so I was heading down the mountain. I got down to the bottom, and 30 minutes from that time that I said, dear Jesus, help those people, 30 minutes, I'm down the hill, and a lady calls me who had given in the past. And she says, Jesus told me you have a project. You have a project. And I said, how'd you know? Because <laughs> the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And she goes, I'm going to send you a check for $20,000. Yeah, you have no folks. I'm happy with 50 bucks. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm happy. I celebrate. But $20,000, I go, I just was crying. I couldn't see. I'm wiping my eyes. And I go, I got to pull over. And, and I, another donor had called, and I was talking with them and said, what had just happened? They said, well, how much more do you need to buy the property and build the building? I said, about 15000 They said, I'll send you the check. Church number nine is now being constructed. And I'm not even there. So, <laughs> And somebody else will dedicate it. But uh, foundations laid. Walls are going up. And the congregation is beside themselves because they had nothing. Everything was taken from them. And now they get a new building in a new place. I mean, only God could do those kinds of things. Uh, you know. So that's why when we, when we say, yeah, amen. What would Paul say? Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, great book, the book of joy. On, um, Mentioned somewhere around 50 times in the book is rejoicing or joy. Um, Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained it, Paul says. All of this have I obtained it or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Notice he takes the words. He, he grabbed me. He held me. He's, um, he, it, in fact, he uses the term of being like in the Olympics, the prize. What are we heading for? And he says, listen, brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Ah, there it is. But one thing, one thing I do. Now, here's Paul telling us, 
out of everything he went through and all the stuff he did and everything he's written, here's the one thing I want you to know. Forget what's behind, straining toward what's ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So here Paul says, here's the one thing I want you to know. Forget what's behind. What? But I'm supposed to remember what's behind. Well, bits and pieces. But your past does not define what I'm going to do with you in the future. Because you, and Paul goes, I mean, come on, let's face it. How many things did Paul do? He went to Macedonia, he's gone over preaching, got thrown in jail, died a couple of times, came back, uh, bitten by snakes and serpents on islands, shipwrecked for who knows how long. All these things he did, and he goes, I haven't laid hold of it yet. You'd think, I'm, I'm done. And he said, here's the one thing I'm, I'm going to tell you. It's important. Keep at it. Because he, and even Paul says, I haven't laid hold of it yet. I haven't laid hold of why he laid hold of me, but I'm going to keep doing it. And that's the ultimate goal, the ultimate prize, the ultimate purpose. Forget the use of the past and what it could do for us. He says, what I need done now is something more, something greater. Why Christ called you in the first place. And Paul would declare these words, I was forsaken by all men, but God stood by me. When I am fainting and physically low, God would be there. When I was imprisoned, He was there. When I'm free, He was there. When I'm in jail, He was there. Clearly see that path. <laughs> One thing I tell you, forget what's behind. Press ahead. Because God has stuff for us that we didn't even imagine could take place. How in the world could I build a church with no money in four hours? Because the Holy Spirit's speaking to people. Forget what's behind. How God did it in the past. He might want to do something new in the future. So here's the one thing. Don't get stuck in a rut. God may do something completely different. So David said, here's the one thing I want, that I could dwell in God's house all the days of my life, that I could be righteous and holy. Not a bad, not a bad deal. Guy who's blind said, the one thing that mattered to me, I used to not be able to see. And now I can. Paul said, forget what's behind, press ahead. If we could bring the apostle Peter here, what would he tell us? What would he say? Here's the one deal, the one thing. All right, let's go and look at 2 Peter 3, 8, and 9. 2 Peter, it's after 1 Peter. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, and we're going to call this reaffirming my focus, to reaffirm my focus. The word to be double-minded means to be cross-eyed. If you have your eyes cross-eyed, you can't focus. 
So a person who's double-minded can't focus on what God has. So don't be double-minded. How easy it is not to do that. It means to look at two things at once. Well, let's look at what Peter tells us in verses 8 and 9. He says, oh, but do not forget what? Yeah, see right here. I, and here's Peter writing. He's in 2 Peter. His life is, is certainly on a place, on a different trajectory. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. When the Lord's day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. And we go, what? Come on, if you're going to come up with something, a real snappy. <laughs> Here's the one thing I want you to know. A thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. And we go, hmm, why would Peter want us to know this? Why, why is this important? Because the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter's going to tell you the one thing he wants you to know is this, the one thing. Jesus is not slow. <laughs> okay? He's not slow. And it means he's coming back. He's coming back. Because a thousand days, a thousand years is a day. So it means that when you think, could he come back today? Yep. So how long has Jesus been gone? Two days. Two days. He's coming back, and He's going to come back when we don't expect it. But those who have faith, here's the one thing Peter wants you to remember. He could come today. That's the one thing all Peter cares about. Live your life as if Jesus could come today. That's how you're supposed to live. And he said, that's the one thing. If there's anything I could tell you, that's what I want you to do. And it, it's a reminder um, to right thinking. It's a reminder, what keeps you righteous? What keeps you living holy? I think one of the best things ever invented for parents was electric garage door openers. <laughs> because it let your kids know you were coming. Before, they could sneak in. But if it wants to keep you righteous, you got to know we got to listen for that garage door opening. <laughs> I was, and we know that when Jesus comes, he's going to blow a trumpet. So an archangel is going to say, hit it. And he said, I'm coming. And those who are looking for him, it, he says, if I come, will I find faith on the earth? Because Peter says, the one thing I want you to remember is this. A thousand years are a day, and a day is a thousand years. He's coming back, and he isn't slow. Because sometimes we think that's the way it is. And Peter writes with such endearment, don't forget this one thing, please. Don't forget this. He's coming like a thief. And let's, I want to just read verses 11 and 12 as well. He says, now, since everything's going to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Simply stated, live holy lives because he's coming back. The garage door is about ready to open. 
And when we hear that, it's going to bring us to that place. To speed is coming. Remain focused. David said, this is the one thing I'd ask of God. I just want to be in his presence. A guy born blind said, the only thing I know is this one thing. I used to be blind and now I see. And Paul said, here's the one thing I want you to remember. Who cares about the past? Lay hold of what the future has for you. And Peter says, live as if today is the last day. That's the one thing I want you to know, to speed the coming of the Lord, the judgment of God. And um, it's one thing, one thing. All right. If Jesus were here, what would he tell us? If we could bring him in here and ask him to tell us, Jesus, Savior, tell us the one thing that we need to know. Let's see what he says, shall we? I want you to write down in that note there, um, requiring action. Requiring action. Let's go to Mark, second gospel, New Testament. Um, Mark is always in a hurry. He uses the term immediately 30-something times. And immediately, they cross the lake. So let's go to requiring action. Mark chapter 10, verse 19 through 21. This is Jesus in an interchange with a very rich young man. And they're having this this conversation with each other. And Jesus tells us that he loves him, simply stated. He says this, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your mother and father, father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I kept all of these since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Ah. He does, have any of you seen the reruns of Columbo? Yeah. He's he's about ready to say, yeah, I got it all wrapped up, and he's just about walking out, and he'll go, "Uh, yeah, the one thing I was thinking about. (laughs) And then he unloads everything. He's got it all worked out. All right. So this guy says, Jesus, I kept all of those things. I'm so good. I did them all. I'm sure he hasn't, but he said he did. And Jesus says he loved him. And he, it was kind of like the guy's going to get off scot-free, you know. And Jesus does the Columbo. There's just one thing. Yeah, just, just, just this one thing. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. There's just one thing, right? Uh, notice it starts out. He's a rich, young ruler. And Jesus goes, well, there's just one, just one little, one little thing. Just one. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Follow me. The great exchange, isn't it? The great exchange. Sell it, give it away. 
You know what I like about Jesus? He did not intend to shame him. In fact, it's an expression of love. He didn't shame him. Say, you're rich and you, <laughs> and you, you won't ever do this. He doesn't. In fact, he just says he loves him. It's an expression of endearment to him. He said, I, I want you just, if you will, to do this, this one thing. And notice that Jesus gives him a prescription for a really good way of life. He said, if you'll give this away, you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Man. He offers this prescription to real wealth. Not earned by materialism, but by following Jesus. This one thing you still need to do. And I think it's appropriate to ask yourself, What's the one thing that Jesus is telling you? What's the one thing he's going to say? You know, by the way, I've been thinking about this. <laughs> I want you to get rid of that. Oh, Lord. You know, how's, how's that going to... I remember one time Connie and I first were married. We weren't married very long. And I said, I think I'm supposed to give away. I used to get paid every week. I said, I think I'm supposed to give away our salary. And I remember she's going, what? And I, I just feel like that's what we're supposed to do. And we didn't have a lot of money, you know, at that, those days. And uh, we gave the, I remember we gave the check away. Now, God doesn't do this every time, but he certainly did it then. We gave it away. And we got back money from an escrow that had closed years before that week. This money came in. And we were going to build a patio and a cover in the back. And my dad happened to call up and said, I'm sending you $300 to fix that pat to put that patio up. And before we knew it, we had double the money that we had given away. Um, but you see... It wasn't the fact that he gave us double that. It was that we were obedient to do the one thing that we didn't want to do. <laughs> I don't want to do. I don't want to do that. And um, that's why. Uh, how many of you have ever heard somebody say, "Jesus, I'll go anywhere. I just don't want to go to Africa. Don't call me to Africa. You know, call me to Hawaii." <laughs> Connie, one time, uh, she told people that she she says. It seems like we, people give us stuff, and we tell them we collect that. So she told a group of ladies, she goes, I collect condos. So if you, anybody want. I'm telling you, the one thing that matters, the one thing, the greatest thing that Jesus would tell us, you've got to be able to lay it aside, the one thing. And the Holy Spirit knows what that one thing is in your life. He really does. And would you still serve me? Would you still do it? David said what? One thing I ask, this is what I seek. I just want to be in God's presence every day. The guy blind said the one thing. I used to be blind, now I see. Paul said, hey, I'll tell you. The one thing I want you to know. The past is the past. Lay hold of what God's called you to do. Peter said, here's the one thing. A thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years, and Jesus is not asleep at the wheel. He's coming back. Be ready. Be ready. 
And a guy that Jesus came across and said, I love you deeply, but here's the one thing. I want you to do this. And for each of us, it's, it's different, but there's always one thing. Remember Mary and Martha? <laughs> Martha was worried about everything, and Mary was parked herself at the feet of Jesus. And you know what he says to her? She's chosen the one thing that's of value. She, she chose the one thing. So I'm just going to ask you today, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. We've, we've just covered some of the best of the best in the Bible. Jesus himself, here's the one thing. I just want you to ask the Lord, what's the one thing that you need to address and face in your life? And by the way, it doesn't have to be negative, but it can be. But it very well may be something very, very positive that the Lord's speaking to you to do. So let's, would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for New Heart Church, that our lives are changed by your word. Thank you for that. I ask, Lord, that you would just let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now and maybe this day about what's the one thing, the one thing that you celebrate in God and the one thing that you really need to deal with. Holy Spirit, we give you room to speak to us. We give you room to bring conviction. We give you room to identify the things in our lives that the one thing that we've tried to hide. And so, Lord, thank you for a guy born blind and David and Paul and Peter. Thank you for those who went before us and said, if I could tell you one thing, this is it. And so, Lord, we take these things and treasure them in our heart. But we want to be a Mary when Jesus said she has chosen the one thing that's of value, and that was to be at your feet. Thank you for these good people. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for their calling. And we just ask, Lord, that you would give the one thing that's needed above all things, that we would have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.